0: Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you for the gift you have given us in Christ Jesus. As we come before your word this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our heart that we might see Christ more clearly, to love him ever greater, to follow him ever more, and to proclaim him as Lord and Savior. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a movie that came out recently. It's called Church People. Uh, I didn't get to see it because it came out uh, in a very short time frame. It was out and was also out when we were on vacation. But I did watch the trailer for this particular movie. And the premise is there's a megachurch. And the pastor of the mega church, who's down below in the tie-dye shirt, the pastor uh, gets really involved in the production of church and tries to do bigger and bigger things and gets really involved. And so he's in a meeting with uh, the other pastors, and they're planning for Easter, and he says, we got to do something really big for Easter. we got to pull out all the stops. And the uh, associate pastor says well, what's bigger than the resurrection? So you got the premise of the movie, right? It's a, uh, it uh, takes a very humorous, but also kind of a serious look at what's going on in a lot of churches today. And the, the subtitle of the movie is, Is the Gospel Enough? Now, you might think that the, the movie goes over the top, but... It actually doesn't. I've taken a look at a lot of uh, advertisements for churches for Easter. And uh, there's one actually in Scottsdale. And I want to show you the verbiage that they have for their Easter worship. Inspiring worship and a life changing message. Cool treats, Kona ice, sweet treats, waffle truck, uh, mustache pretzels character artist station, balloon sculptors, Easter theme games, photo booth, pictures with the Easter bunny, petting zoo, rock wall, rock wall zip line and much much more. I mean, that's what they're doing for Easter. And I want to ask, is that all that Easter has become? Where we somehow have to sell people on the message of Easter? By by the way, don't get me wrong, a lot of this stuff, except for pictures with the Easter bunny, no thanks, but uh, zip lines, I mean, stuff like that's just fun, but is that the main draw for Easter? Is that the main message for Easter? See, the irony is this, if you have to do those things, like all the games and things, to make Easter exciting, you don't understand the resurrection, I would say that you don't even trust the resurrection. If you have to do all that stuff, it becomes form without the substance. And the irony is, if you have to entertain people to get people in for Easter, it's not even a living faith. It's already a dead faith because it is truly substituting the form without any substance whatsoever. I mean, compare that ad to what happened this morning at the fountain. Now, we didn't even have much planning, about one week. We had about one week to plan all of this because uh, it wasn't until the the mandate was lifted by the governor that we could even think about going ahead. So we had one week. It was not a fancy service by any means. It had music, it had scripture, it had a message, it had prayer. That was it. And 700 people at least came out for that. Because they're hungry for a living faith. That's what they have. So this morning Let's you and I together remember, be filled with a living faith, a faith that proclaims our Lord is risen, that He has risen indeed, that our Redeemer lives. This is what we have before us this morning. This is the journey, and so we are going to take a journey from death to life, a living faith that witnesses. Let's go to the text. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So this is the first day of the week. It would have been Sunday. And it would have been early, around... (laughs) For here this morning, as you know me the morning person, right? It would have been about five thirty, six o'clock, just that pre sunrise, sunrise time. And they actually had come to a cemetery and they were going to anoint the body. I mean, they had done some, they had taken his body off, they had wrapped him, but they hadn't been able to do everything because the Sabbath was fast approaching. And so they had to come and finish the preparations of the body. Now put yourself in their shoes for a moment. I mean, we know how the story turns out, right? But they didn't. They, they had seen their Savior crucified and died. And then they had anointed him and put him in the tomb. I mean, this was all about death. There, there must have been, a, a, I mean, it's hard to exp- ex- express, but a, a, a weariness, a sorrow, a heartache that they had. The person in whom they had put their faith, their hope was dead. And I'm going to guess for them, their hope was gone. They had no hope anymore anymore. And the problem is a faith with no hope is a dead faith. Oh, sure, you can go through the motions. You can do the, the form of your faith. But without that hope, it's a dead faith, isn't it? I want you to think about what's happened this past year. Death and the fear of death has been running rampant throughout our country and throughout much of the world. And the constant pounding of death and the fear of death, the stalking of death almost, has invaded people's lives and even their faith. And what we have seen, what I've seen, is that the people who were in church and they were simply doing church, the form of church, well, with the pandemic, they couldn't even do the form of church anymore. And so a lot of people have kind of go, eh, why should I even go back? And now they say in America that for the first time in many, many years, less than 50% of the population goes to church. But I see that as a separation of people who have a living faith and people who had only the form of faith. I think that's actually the greater separation that has occurred, because as it says on the screen here, the form without the substance makes for a dead church and for a dead faith. So the words of Paul, what he wrote in Corinthians, really do come true. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if you've been in our Bible study in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, vain, it means futile. It's nothing but a vapor. So what's the antidote for people without hope? For people who have just do the form. I mean, is it to actually do more games? Is that what we should do? I mean, like, let's get a big water slide if that's what we should do, right? Do all that sort of stuff. But that is not the antidote. The antidote to no faith or hopelessness is actually to focus on the reality of the resurrection of what actually occurred. And so this morning we're going to focus, just as the women did, on the reality of what happened. To know that Jesus Christ is among the living. So what were the facts before the woman? Well, one of the facts is the rock had been rolled away. Now I have preached and taught on this before, but do you remember how how heavy the rock was? weighed at least 2,000 pounds, two to 3,000 pounds at a bare minimum, could have weighed up to six to 8,000 pounds. It was a heavy, heavy stone. It had been rolled down a trough. There's no way any one person could easily move it. Besides that, the guards had probably put seals on the rock because they didn't want it to be moved, and there had been guards. So the women come to the tomb, and the... The rock, the giant heavy rock has been moved. It has been rolled away. But if that wasn't astounding enough, they went into the tomb and the tomb was empty. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think of how they would have felt that the body was gone. Now, there have been some people who have said, well, oh, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. look, I've misplaced my keys. I've misplaced my glasses. In parking ramps, I've even misplaced my car where you have to hit the car clicker and hopefully hear your car horn, right? (laughs) Uh, Apparently, I'm not the only one who's done that. But I don't think if I anointed the body of my Savior, I would have forgotten where we placed him. So to say that they went to the wrong tomb is just utter nonsense. The other fact that they were dealing with is that Jesus had truly died. Again, there have been some people who have made arguments that he didn't die, that he simply swooned or fainted. But if you take a look also at the facts, he was flogged, and people who were flogged that severely sometimes died from the flogging alone. He would have had severe blood loss. And then they also saw him on the cross. And how do you die on the cross? By suffocating. Because you can't hold your body up long enough to be able to take the deep breaths that you need. This is also why they broke prisoners' legs if they wanted them to die faster, because then they would suffocate. And then his side, to make sure he was dead, his side was pierced with a sword, with with a spear, and out came blood and water, sure signs of death. Jesus had truly died. And then they had anointed the body. All of these facts were before them. And then something else happened. The angels appeared the angels appeared. See, it says, while they were perplexed about this, all the other facts before them, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. To say that they were perplexed really doesn't get to the full sense of the word. They were dumbfounded. This was a truly divine intervention for the women. And you and I, sometimes simply need that divine intervention for us to come to the full realization of what God has done. That all of our circumstances, you know, take a look at all of our circumstances, all of our doubts, all of our fears, God intervenes and brings you to faith. So there was a there was a fellow, his name is Dr. Simon Greenleaf. Uh, He lived in the 1800s. He was the uh, principal and founder, one of the founders, of Harvard Law School. Now he was a world-renowned expert on evidence. He wrote a book on examining evidence, but he was also at least an agnostic. Some people say an atheist. And he was rather hostile to Christianity in his classroom. And finally, one day, one of his students challenged him. He said, you wrote the book on evidence. Why don't you use your own rules to examine the resurrection? So he took up that challenge and he examined the resurrection. And he came to the realization that it was indeed fact, not fiction. And he became a Christian. And his work, by the way, his life and his work have influenced other people, one including uh, Josh McDowell and also Lee Strobel. So Simon Greenleaf wrote a book, and then also Josh McDowell and uh, Lee Strobel wrote books. And we have some of their books in the back in case you're interested. Lee Strobel wrote uh, the case for Christ and uh, the case for faith. He, uh, and Josh McDowell wrote more than a carpenter. So it comes true then what Paul wrote. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. From death to life is a main message of the resurrection. It's not the only message, but it is one of the main messages that there from death there is life, and that must come from God himself. Now, as much as facts are wonderful things to have, and we do have facts about his death and his resurrection... It also has to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is the Holy Spirit who brings one to a living faith. So let's continue on in our text. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, the angels here, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So I want to focus on that phrase, and they remembered his words. Now, we use that word remember to recall things of the past, right? That's generally what it means. The trouble is we have a pretty short attention span. We have a pretty short memory when it comes to things, even big things. I'm going to give you an example. How many people do you know younger than you who honor Pearl Harbor? Almost no one, right? That has faded from, our, from most people's memory. And now, what about uh, 9-11, World Trade Center? There's now a generation who was born after the World Trade Center. Even that starts to fade. Even important things in our lives start to fade. And that is the difficulty. As human beings, our condition is that we forget. But God never forgets, and he helps us remember what is important. Because remembering has a different connotation, especially when it comes to God. Remembering isn't just about recalling things of old. It is to bring the events of the past into the present. So before I get to the text, I'm going to give you a really simple example. Because we use remembering in this exact way. So, if you are married, on your anniversary day, your spouse says, did you remember our anniversary? And you can say, yes, I remembered it. Well, what'd you get me? Nothing. You just asked me if I remembered it. All right. You understand that. You go to the store. Did you (laughs) remember? This is for me. Did you remember to get the butter? No, okay. Yeah, but if you said, yes, I remembered it, and they say, well, where's the butter? Well, I just remembered it. I didn't get it. You understand how ridiculous that is, right? You understand the depth of what remembering means. It it means to put it into the present, into action in the present. So in our text, and I've got a number of them on there, and uh, they are on the sermon notes, from Exodus... Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. So this is the feast of unleavened bread. And they're saying, Moses says, remember that and now live that. And by the way, we also do this in our relationship with God, too. We ask God to remember his promises for a present effect. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses speaking to the Lord, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give you as your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. So we ask the Lord to remember in the present effect of the promises that he has given. So that's the idea of remembering. And now the angels have come and they're speaking to the women at the tomb and they're telling the women, don't you remember? This is what has been said of Christ Jesus. And from that divine intervention, the light bulb went off. It says, and they remembered. So what did they remember? They remembered his words? Well, what did Jesus say? Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Matthew chapter 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What else did he say? John chapter 2. Jesus answered him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. And none of this was in secret. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 24, he has Jesus instructing the whole apostolic group. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So in that one moment, they had divine intervention where what was said in the past became a present reality. They went from a faith of the past past, to a faith of the present. The reality of God, the reality of Jesus, the reality of a risen, living Savior. And they were so filled with that, the only thing they could do was run and tell others to be a witness So going on, starting with verse 9 through 12, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So as you most likely know, women in those days and in that culture were not considered reliable witnesses. And they certainly hadn't gone to rabbinical school. They weren't theologians by any means. In a court of law... They couldn't give testimony unless under extreme circumstances. I mean, they had all of this going against them, right? All of the circumstances going against them. But it didn't stop them, did it? It did not. They remembered the words of Jesus. They knew what they heard, what they saw, what they touched, and they were compelled to be a witness of what happened. And they told it again and again. In spite of the opposition, in spite of the skepticism, in spite of having to repeat themselves, they were witnesses. Look, did they have all the questions that everybody would have been asking them? No, they didn't have all the answers to the questions that people would have been asking them. They probably didn't even fully understand all of the implications of what happened, but they were compelled to tell others. They were so overcome with the reality of what happened that they needed to tell others, and that's what a living faith does. Listen to the rest of the world more and more. We are as the women of the New Testament in that time, we have no credibility the skeptics are growing louder and louder. And you might not know all the biblical answers to all the questions, right? You might not. And so people stop themselves. Like, oh, I don't know. I might get embarrassed or something else. And yet, and yet, if Jesus really did die, If the rock was really taken away, if the tomb was really empty, if he really did rise from the dead, then it is all true, and we need not be ashamed of any of it. We can stand firm in a living faith. You know, there are going to be skeptics. There's going to be people who say, well, Jesus never existed. And I would say, well, have you ever looked at the evidence for that? To those who say he's, uh, he's still dead, I would say, well, have you checked the tomb? To this, those who say he remains dead forever, I would say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Why can I say that? because our Lord is risen, and because we have a living faith, our Redeemer lives. So we stand firm. We don't have to put any frills, any whistles, any zip lines on Easter. We stand with the resurrection. Our Redeemer lives. So for you this morning, I would encourage you to read all of the gospel accounts of the resurrection. What are all the facts that you find? Remember in the present tense, the promises of Jesus and his resurrection. See, this is the difference. There are a lot of people who have go to church. And when we look at scripture, they think, well, that's that just happened like 2000 years ago. You know, what impact does that have on me? but read that in the present tense and all the promises Christ has given to you in the present. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Is that just in the past or is it here this day? And finally, pray for doors to open for you that you too may be a witness to Jesus and his gospel. Pray for doors to open. That's what Paul prayed for. He said, I wish to have doors open that I may proclaim Christ Jesus and his gospel. And to that, everyone says, amen.